good morning. Good morning from the deep south. Today's a pretty exciting day. I've been uh, I've been kind of scouting the internet for information just to remind myself of some of the incredible things this guy has done. But Paul Dexter is uh, is a very unique and uh, very interesting designer, production designer, lighting designer. Um, and you know, one of the funny things about Paul that I remember when I first met him was uh, when I was working with Martin, I guess. And he was always a real gadget guy, like a gear guy, almost like a MacGyver who kind of put two things together and created something completely different from it. Um, you know, that, I, that guy is fascinated with technology, and we'll get into that a little bit with some of his current projects, right? The uh, the Dio hologram projects and stuff. It's uh, we were talking about that the other day, and I, I literally I had to find you know force myself to hang up the phone, right? Because I could have just talked to him for two or three hours about it. But uh, yeah. man, he is working on some super cool technological stuff these days. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be a very fun interview. And I, I'd like to take just a second to apologize for my audio quality today. I am uh, on vacation up in the in the mountains. And I told Henry I've built my podcast kit, which I was taught to do by the wonderful uh, YouTube uh, teaching system. And uh, so I went out and bought a suitcase and I put together a real professional bag with microphones and a Zoom recorder and uh, all the cables and bits and extra batteries and headphones and all the things I might need. Um, and here I am recording using AirPods. So uh, for both headphones and microphone. And the reason is my new Apple laptop has no normal USB connections. It's got the new USB-C connectors. And of course, I didn't bring any adapters. So at the uh, nice early hour of 6.45 in the morning, there are no radio shacks open. And so here we are. I'm recording using AirPods. So I would like to quickly apologize for that one. But uh, we'll get through it. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So, any uh, any gear news this week, Henry? Yeah, just a few small pieces. I mean, you know, um, Mega Systems out of San Antonio, Texas, they've introduced... Um, you know, another LED bar, but this one's called a color light and it's an IP65 rated outdoor bar. It looks like a chip on board thing. But, you know, more and more, it's kind of funny when you when you look at outdoor technology, how even the cost of that has come down. So, you know, back in the days when we were selling, you know, EC1s and ES1s and things like that. And uh, what were the Mac 600 and the Mac 1200 exterior? Yeah, like big, big exterior building washes and stuff, right? Yeah, but I mean that stuff was just you know ridiculously expensive. You know, five and six thousand dollars a fixture, and yeah. um, you know more and more now it, it's kind of funny, but the uh, our industry seems to almost by default now start. They're starting to build you know IP rated stuff just regular. So even a bunch of the battery operated bars and things like that um, are all starting to come weatherized to some degree. So you can shove them indoor and outdoor, and you don't have to worry about it. And also, interestingly enough, some of the other production companies are only buying IP-rated, you know, yeah. bars. Yeah, we talked about that a few weeks ago. And, you know, my fear is still, and I think Robert Mokri might have brought it up on, on a prior podcast, but my fear is when you get to, certainly when you're talking Elation and even Chauvet and some of those really top-line companies, you know, they're testing, they're using proper equipment to test that IP rating and to make sure it's going to last. They're creating longevity in their fixtures. When you get into a, uh, you know, a $99 or a $49 uh, IP rated 
LED PAR. I'm not trusting putting that thing on a building and, and expecting it to work for years. Um, I, maybe that's just me, but I wouldn't do it. Yeah, it's it's kind of you know it's kind of interesting. Like you know when you look at Elation, you look at uh, what Chauvet is doing and stuff. You know, good IRP rated pars are you know eight nine hundred a thousand bucks. So they're yeah. they're still not quite cheap yet. But I mean comparatively, you know, it's an eighty percent reduction based on the old stuff that we used to sell. You know. Yeah. So, well, I know that I'm I'm getting emails from uh, you know because I have an LED company as well. I'm getting emails from some of these you know Ching Chow lighting companies. And, you know, the gear looks great, but, you know, when you put a $99 price tag on a, uh, a par that's meant to live outside a building or a light fixture that's meant to live outside a building for 10 years without maintenance, I'm just not trusting it. So I'm yeah. going to go to a top brand when I'm doing something. You know, we're not talking about a, a show or an installation in a nightclub that'll probably be closed in a year that's different for those types of things. If you want to go cheap and dirty, no problem. Uh, it's still causing a huge problem because if it fails within, you know, 90 days or something, you're going to be back out there up on a lift, you know, replacing products oh, or whatever. Huge cost for sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, the warranty labor cost could get really large on, on some of that gear, but you know, I'm not beating up on them. There's a, there's certainly a market for everything and there's a place for, a $99 light, there's a place for a $1,000 light. But, uh, you know, when you're putting something on the outside of a building, that's when I get concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Another interesting piece that kind of got introduced, Pixelflex. Those are the guys out of Nashville. Um, they have a beautiful facility up there. I went and saw their showroom uh, a couple of years ago. But, um, you know, uh, L flexible LED screen technology is really becoming quite popular, obviously, you know, for obvious reasons to be able to wrap things and things like that. But um, these guys introduced something that has a, a very fine pixel pitch or what they call ultra fine pixel pitch. And um, it is also a flexible screen. So I don't, you know, I'm not quite sure how that technology works, but I know it's ultra cool in the fact that, you know, you start to get pitches down, you know, sub three millimeters. Um, that are now flexible, you know, displays, I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's, that's pretty really wild. Cool. So I don't know what it's going to look like, um, in a number of years. Certainly I've conceptualized having an immersion room where you have a 10 by 10 room in your house and the walls are just literally OLED and you walk into your beach environment in Hawaii where you have a single chair sitting in the, in the center and you actually are immersed into that. I can't wait to see that uh, come to fruition. So kind of like a home theater on steroids. Yeah. So speak. So speaking of, you know, escaping reality here, there's been some interesting bits of news, you know, and Henry's news of the bizarre. But, um, you know, there's a there's th something on YouTube called slow TV, which is kind of interesting where, you know, recordings run for six or eight hours of like a train trip through the Rockies or, you know, uh, waves on the beach or, you know, things like that, long road trips. And that's gained quite a bit of popularity for people that just to play in their houses on large displays just to kind of get away from it all. Right. And I was reading some articles this week uh, about what's called ASMR therapy, which stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. And that's about as scientific as I'm going to get today. But um, people are starting to use analog sounds like crinkling paper and falling rain and crashing waves and uh, nails, uh, fingernails, like on a keyboard 
for it, it, it somehow has an effect on the brain that causes relaxation or stimulation and you actually get physiological responses from this but in today's digital world uh what's kind of interesting is you know everybody's bombarded by digital everything these days and now you're starting to see the beginnings of a push out and a push away from that now something that i've you know had a little bit of difficulty wrapping my head around is if you're listening to crinkling paper on a computer isn't that fact in fact digital you know yeah, but no uh, right sprinkle a paper <laughs> exactly you know maybe you just hire a couple of servants to come and wrinkle newspapers or turn pages of paper yeah. out of you yeah. but you know these are some of these new uh, relaxation techniques on top of meditation and things like that that just kind of try to unload your brain a little bit for lack of a better term so um let's go ahead and uh let's get mr dexter on with us now i'm really anxious and looking forward to uh, talking to him about some of the really cool things he's done in the past, including, you know, uh, I think he worked with Ozzy the very first time I saw Ozzy a long, long time ago. I, I'm going to ask him about that to see if he was the designer on that show. Um, but certainly, you know, as you've already mentioned, the, the Dio holograms, didn't he work with, uh, well, we'll talk to him about it. Yeah, we will. So. He's worked with Dio for many, many years, was a personal friend of Dio. So we'll yeah. we'll kind of get into that. And um, Good. Well, let's go ahead and get him on. Hey, good morning and uh, welcome Paul Dexter on to the Geezers of Gear podcast today. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you guys? Well, we certainly appreciate you getting up so bright and early this morning to do this podcast with us. We uh, We both agree that you're a super interesting guy who's managed to survive uh, a couple of, I'm, I'm underaging you, I think, but a couple of decades in this business. And, um, uh, you know, so we, we absolutely appreciate you taking the time to uh, educate our listeners and share some of your stories with them and stuff. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I really think and it, that I believe has always been so intriguing about you, and I've known you, I think, since my early Martin days and in the 90s, um, and although we haven't done a lot of things together recently, uh, I've, I've always really appreciated you, in part because I think you have a much deeper relationship with the band or with the artist than, than most designers to, do. Um, it seems to me like you're almost the fifth Beatle or part of the band and really involve them in the process of the show the creation, the story, the design, et cetera. Is that um, accurate to say? Uh, well, I, I think so. Um, I believe that design is different for every band because of that. If you don't involve the artist and get their views and inject their personality along with their music um, and also their, their input, you know, if they don't, come forward and say, I would like this or that, I go in and try to extract it from them and draw them into the process. And yeah. uh, it's the one thing that makes every design different. So Paul, yeah, is it it's much more challenging for me? So Paul, is it really true? I took Gil Moore from uh, the drummer from Triumph out to dinner. Um, whew, this is probably going back a couple of years ago now. And he talked about the early days of Triumph where you and him would actually 
draw stuff up on cocktail napkins and things like that, but talk about the overall show and how to produce the show and cook up all kinds of nutty ideas. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Well, he he was uh, very involved. I didn't need to do any drawing in from him. He was very forward. He was very involved with all of the processes. And, um, you know, when it came to uh, designing the system, I remember after all of our meetings, I went to uh, Lake Arrowhead and I rented a cabin and I was in, this is the, this is in the old days. <laughs> yeah, actually, had to draw your plots out with a with a scale ruler and uh, a template for park hands, and I believe there was four hundred park hands in the rig, and I worked on it every single day. And what came out of it was a fantastic system. Um, you know, by comparison, I mean very lights were were you know, making their mark on the, this was in the late eighties. So they'd already been out for quite a while. And, um, I had Gary Carnes who was with very light at that time. And he came to the show and he goes, that's the first show I've ever seen where I didn't actually miss them. <laughs> so, wow. You know, that's job complete. Statement. That's quite a statement. So I think, you know, part of that, that relationship with the band and, and your fifth Beatles sort of, uh, approach to things part of it came from the fact that you were working with artists who were very involved in that so you know i've known a lot of artists who just don't care as long as they don't get any complaints from you know their management or their family or their latest boyfriend or whatever uh they're happy with the show but then you know there are artists and gilmore is certainly one of the ones that comes to mind he was very active in in you know, the pyro design and the lighting design and stuff. He wanted to play a role in that. But um, I think you you spent a lot of time with Rudy Sarzo and with, with Dio and, you know, people who really were very uh, into the show side of what they were doing. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of artists that uh, I've, I brought into that. But, you know, just... You know, to digress for a moment back to Gilmore. I have a funny story about that. He uh, he he also managed the band for a while too. I think he there was a uh, long guitar solo or something like that. And he would, as I recall, he would go to the box office and settle and come back and play on stage. <laughs> oh my God, that's funny. It was pretty. Oh, he was really funny. And and I remember one time too. Um, uh, he, I was out in the front of the house and we were programming. Gil comes in, he sits behind his drum set and, uh, you know, and I had a, I had a mole phase behind the drum set. And so all of a sudden the, it didn't work and I'm putting it up at the console. I'm thinking, okay, well, I worked a few seconds ago. It's not now. Well, Gil had come in and hung his leather jacket over <laughs> the mole face. So I burned a hole right in his, oh, I pulled a hole right in his leather jacket. So, yeah. Um, and of course that was your pretty, fault, right? Well, he, no, he was cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was a bit of a pyromaniac, so it was just another, another effect. At that point. 
Yeah. So, so did you, did you gravitate to artists who like to involve themselves in the show or well, w did that make you roll your eyes a bit? Cause I know with some people, they just want full, you know, autonomy. They just absolutely want to run the show and, and don't want any input from anybody. Oh no, it, it doesn't work that way. I mean, there, there's a, there's an old saying teamwork makes the dream work. And yeah. You can't do this on your own. I mean, it's collaboration. And you have to give credit to where credit is due. If somebody comes up with a great idea and you can capitalize on it, by all means, that makes the show better. Yeah. And it makes it different. Yeah. But, you know, go, going back to the, the uh, you know, why I do that is I started off with a, an original band. And uh, I was, I think I was 15 or 16 years old and I used to sit and watch them rehearse and I tried to get involved in, in different ways. And when I finally did, um, I spent a lot of time with them. You know, we would, I would rehearse with the band with, you know, a little so a lighting system that I built with, uh, uh, who, who, by the way, was uh, Dick... Um, it was Dick Barber, who was the road manager for Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. And Dick uh, was the one who helped me build my first lighting system with Hawaiian pineapple cans. Coffee oh, cans. my God. But anyway, th 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 that's the reason why I did it, because I always hung out with the band. I was always with them, and we just, you know, we talked about what we were doing and staged... Uh, you know, stage acts on stage, you know, you know, like the guitar player would fall down and we'd put a special spot on him or something like that. Or I had homemade strobe lights from, you know, college geeks who built them for me. So tell me the technology behind these Hawaiian pineapple cans. How, how did that work? Uh, it was pretty simple. It was, uh, a, a <laughs> I can imagine. Can. Yeah, it was a number 10 can, and uh, we had rings brazed on the outside in the front of them. And I put the rings together with brads, uh, you know, regular office brads for paper. And um, the gel would go in between that to make the gel. It was, uh, it was 150 watts, either floods or spots. Just regular outdoor uh so screw-ins like, like, like our 30s and our 40s, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. So we bolted the socket on the back of the can and then um, bent one half-inch uh, metal straps for the yokes so we could move them up, down, sideways, and then put them on elevating trees. And I had a nail, a half-penny nail that went right through the middle of it, of, of the, uh, the pole to keep them up. They were up about you know, 12 feet, but it was real interesting. I mean, I went a long way with those cans. We ended up having, uh, I think I bought 44 of them. So we had a, two side trees and a back tree. And, um, it was, you know, I mean, this band could, they would draw. We put posters up in all the windows and stuff like that. We'd draw, you know, 500 kids. <laughs> so that's, it was pretty cool. That's and great it was innovation. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So did you, 
your first major tour was was what I think it was Billy Preston, right? Yeah, it was Billy Preston, and that was with uh, you know Jim Moody and Sundance Lighting in uh, 1973. Yeah, you've had a you've had an ongoing and, relationship, I think, with with Jim Moody as well, right? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, he 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 and I have known each other and followed each other. Uh, our our careers as we've evolved and stuff and um, I think and, you've done a book or today, some books together too, right? Yeah, we we've written two books together: uh, Concert Lighting, uh, you know, Art Business and Techniques, which was the third edition. He had written two before I started with him, and then we wrote the fourth edition, which is the Art and Business of Entertainment Lighting, and. Uh, that is, that's available on Amazon for those who are listening and want to, you know, indulge themselves in some, I mean, it's, it's an A to Z to lighting. Any, anybody getting into it can see the history of it. The history part of it is probably one of my favorite parts. We talk about, you know, uh, everything from, um, you know, what kind of lighting is out there to the kind of gigs that have their own lighting now instead of, you know, and just kind of like the evolution of of where it is. Um, we interview, I think, 11 designers, um, and all of them are, you know, notable in their own right, um, and all different aspects, all different uh, genres, from you know a Broadway uh, designer to an artistic. Uh, or, or, you know, theatrical designers to architectural designers. Um, and who who would you say is going to benefit designers. most most from that book? Is it like the up-and-coming designer who just got out of full sale or uh, out of college and, and wants to embark on a lighting career or um, someone who's already in the business? Who's going who's gonna to get the most benefit? Well, I would like to say everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, I think so. I think that uh, students would probably enjoy it if they're interested in getting into the business. It's a big reality check. If you uh, want to learn more about how business started and the history of it, then that's another reason. If you want to know what the gear is and the comparisons of all of the equipment and how it's operated and want to know technically about why DMX and Ethernet work. And it's, it's again, it's A to Z. And, and also learning about the experiences of these other designers because they're all notable. All of yeah. them. So, so they, have, a, they have a story and their own so, way of doing stuff. So it's a pretty good read for anybody that's in, you know, a, a theater program in a school. Obviously, you know, all the different programs in the different universities, they differ, but this is real rubber hits the road stuff, it sounds like. Right. I mean, the publisher, uh, before they do these books, they actually have focus groups and they write to uh, different people that are, you know, have had the previous books or or, uh, comparable books and they say, you know, they give them questionnaires is why would this be good for you? Who would this be good for? And, um, that's cool. You know, it, it, it's really interesting because it does shape the way that 
the writing goes and who we target. Yeah. So let me ask you something based on what you just said, uh, you know, about the history and all of that. What would what would Paul Dexter in 2019 tell Paul Dexter, uh, who was just getting ready to embark on that Billy Preston tour in the early 70s? What what advice would you give that guy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. Huh? Uh, uh, you know, it, well, it is because we're it's a completely different time. I mean, where it, it was so many years ago and, you know, we, I just live a day at a time. Um, yeah. and you know, face, face the day with the new challenges that it brings. Yeah. And so then I was just wide eyed and ready to do anything. And, you know, it was just a completely different chapter in my life and certainly a different chapter in the history of lighting. Well, and I think um, that attitude, you know, the wide-eyed and ready to do everything, has, is what has created your longevity in this business. Because, you know, you don't have the prima donna attitude that, you know, I need this kind of chair at front of house and I got to do this and it's got to be this. And it's, you know, you adapt and, and you make things work. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, funny because I, I think about those days and, you know, how hard it was to tour because, you know, being a lighting guy, I was fixing plugs underneath the stage until showtime. Now I stand on stage programming till doors, you know, nothing's changed. It's the first in last out. And, uh, so, you know, they didn't have catering then those days they didn't have catering. So they'd put a big bucket of fried chicken on there or go down to, uh, the local hamburger joint and throw some hamburgers and either a, it was cold by the time I got to it or B gone (laughs) or a bite taken out of it on the last piece. Right. (laughs) That's funny. Oh my God. And and so, you know, we days off and there was no time to do it. I mean, we got $15 a day per diem. We we had no time. We had no time to go out and, so, Paul, I, I, uh, I absolutely was a huge fan of, of an artist that you spent an awful long time with and did some really cool things. And I remember, uh, I can't remember how old I was, but probably 16, 17, 18 years old, which would have been uh, near the mid 80s, not quite the mid 80s, early 80s, let's say, um, seeing Dio in Calgary and... Um, at the time their set was, I just remember, you know, these battling beasts on stage and a very dynamic set with things that opened and closed and moved. And, and I believe that was you, right? Yes, that, that was, uh, the sacred heart tour. And that was in 1986. And, uh, for anybody who, is listening and wants to watch that concert that you're describing. It is, uh, it was filmed at the spectrum. And interestingly, it was filmed by NFL films. What? And they had more. Yeah. They had more cameras and more jibs and, uh, the, the, the texture of the film, it was real film. And you, you watch this concert now. Well, I mean, I've digitized it recently uh, for some work that I'm doing now. Um, but 
that film and it was it, it's so expressive in terms of capturing a live show on film. Hands yeah. down, probably one of the best I've ever seen. Yeah, I've seen it multiple times, and it really is great. I had no idea that it was NFL Films. That's bizarre. So when yeah. when did your relationship start with with uh, with Bio, and how has it evolved? Where is it today? You know, obviously, unfortunately, Ronnie's no longer with us, but I know Wendy uh, is his wife. Is, or his widow, I guess, is still involved in, in, you know, the, I think they have a foundation and. Well, um, I started with, I believe it was 1983 and I had just finished work with Ozzy Osbourne. We did the Diary of a Madman tour. And in fact, you mentioned Rudy Sarzo earlier. Rudy was on that tour. Uh, and also during that time, Randy Rhodes was the guitar player. Yeah, I and, saw uh, that show as well, and I was going to ask you about that one because I saw it at the Max Bell Arena in, in Calgary, and it just blew me away. I talked to, well, here, I'll give you a little bit of kudos. So, um, I don't know, a month ago, Henry and I did a podcast that was our top three shows that we've ever seen, and that was one of mine because not, not, <laughs> just, not just because of the show, but that band, I think it was Tommy Aldridge, Rudy Sarzo. Oh, uh, yeah you know, and of course, Randy Rhodes and Ozzy was still new and Ozzy had so much energy and it was just, wow, you know, and, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, but that's, so, uh, because of my, my work with them, I mean, that was a, um, that was a, a company called Tasco that, that got me into that. I can't remember how I, you know, I just got the phone call. I went out there. I went to Europe the first time with Ozzy. Um, and then we did the U.S. stuff. But after that, um, you know, uh, they don't tour all the time. You know, it's not like any band doesn't do a perpetual tour. Um, except, you know, the one I'm on now, I do Aria Speedwagon. Now I have for 15 years. Yeah. Um, perpetual tour, and, but yeah. it, again, it's a different time. But in, but in those days, they didn't do. They just do a tour. We do three months, six months, eighteen months, and then it would end. That's it. And so, uh, after I'd finished with Ozzy, Nick Jackson from Light and Sound Design called me because Light and Sound Design and Tasco were actually sharing a building in. Um, uh, Southern California. Yeah, what was it? New, Newberry Park. Yeah, they, they'd actually share a building. And so I got the call. Would I do go and look at a Dio show? And it, I remember it was in San Jose and they had started the Holy Diver Tour, just started. And they had these flats and, and uh, they had an LD, um, and, but they weren't getting what they wanted from this. It was, you know, there's technique involved with this. You know, just can't put some park hands up and say, I'm an LD. I can't remember the na his name, but I went in there and I just watched the show and I took notes and I'm thinking, hey, well, first of all, there's no real design to any of this. It's just, you know, you put a line of red, green, blue, and amber and white in a, in a line and, that's not a design. 
And so uh, I went to the show. I took notes. I had a meeting with Ronnie afterwards, and I stayed with him. You know what? I stayed with him the whole time, and I watched him in the dressing room. I mean, Ronnie would say goodbye to the janitor at the end, sweeping the stage. I mean, he stayed there, and then we went outside, and there was fans lined up, and he would sign everybody's album or t-shirt or dollar bill or whatever it was and then he would get on the bus this was ours so i'd hung out the whole time (laughs) and uh and you're probably thinking i really want to work with this guy because because of that sort of attitude and character actually i i would have but that wasn't my mindset i was i thought i was just there to you know do a design and help the designer understand what it, and I was going to do the baton toss and be done. I oh. really didn't understand what, what I, else I was there for except to consult. And, um, but as it happens, uh, you know, I, I, the, the next night, I can't remember where else we went, but the next night I'd actually, uh, or the next day, excuse me, I put in, I'm, you know, all the new gels and a different design and put, a, put the show together and it came off really well. And so I went in the dressing room and I just looked at him and I go, your LD, he's never going to get this ever. He just doesn't have that, you know, uh, initiative drive or understanding. And, and so from that point on, I took the reins and it's it was from 1983 until his passing in 2010. I stayed very close with him and did almost all of his uh, shows and designs and you know videos. That's Great that's really incredible. That's that's a that's a statement to your uh, not just your relationship with him, but obviously the work that you were doing for him. And you know sometimes it's not even the artist; it's the manager or someone else who's chasing a lighting designer out because they want a fresh look or whatever. But, um, that's, that's really amazing. Bravo. So, well, you know, at that point, Ronnie had already been with, uh, you know, his, his own band, his, he'd gone into work with, uh, Richie Blackmore's rainbow after that. And then he was with black Sabbath. And so this was his first outing as a solo artist. And it catapulted from, you know, small theaters to 11, 12,000 a night yeah. for, a, you know, good, good long time. But that, that tour you saw was in the heyday. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I saw a few different uh, versions of, of Dio and I didn't realize you had done them all. So that's really cool. And so now how has that evolved now? And, in the intro, we talked a little bit. I mean, we just made brief mention of, of the, the, uh, well, shows. I know the video that we've been watching is the pole star one with the holograms. Um, so tell us how that came about. Mm. And, and, uh, cause that's really cool. I mean, that's obviously incredible. It's the best use of a hologram that I've seen where you can almost trick somebody watching the video into thinking that, Whoa, <laughs> that's Dio there. You know? Yeah, one thing. Yeah, that I'm dr- I think what you're what you're thing- watching are probably YouTube videos that were taken on somebody's phone in Poland. <laughs> I mean, oh, is that what it, it is? Was, uh, yeah, yeah. There was no, 
you know, this was real raw stuff. And the first time that a hologram had been toured was in December of 2017. Um, it was, it was the brainchild of a, uh, entrepreneur. His name is Jeffrey Pizzuti. Uh, and he started a company called illusion and he, um, you know, made his rounds in uh, Los Angeles talking to different people and ended up with, you know, believe it or not, Tom Consolo with Ario Speedwagon, uh, who's him, his man, uh, their manager, and also uh, Wendy Deal. Now, Jeffrey went to Tom first, if I get this right, chronologically right, he went to Tom first and Tom said, yeah, you need to speak to Paul. And so then he went to visit Wendy and he had no idea because he's younger um, that I was involved with, with those shows. He had actually been to the shows, but he hadn't actually known who the backstage characters were. And so, uh, you know, once Wendy, you know, he said uh, to Wendy about Tom telling him about me getting this convoluted. I don't mean to be, but, and then Wendy goes, Oh yes, of course <laughs> we know him. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. we had at that point of like, you know, 20, 30 years of, you know, history together. Yeah. So Paul, um, quick so question for it, you on, on, on the hologram itself. I, I watched a bunch of the hologram videos. They look amazing, but where did you get the footage for, for all of this? Because I mean, you know, this is, very, very clear footage of of Dio performing on stage. So how did that how did that footage come about, or where did you extract it from to get the quality? Well, I'm going to take the mystery out of holograms. I mean, holograms. Here's how they do it. There's a uh, an actor, and they film the actor portraying, you know, in the same build and everything uh, as uh, Ronnie and uh, his clothes um, and uh, so they film the actor on green screen and we're talking no green idea. screen yeah they film the actor on green screen and then they take uh, that footage into a, uh, a, a graphic studio where they work on movies and you know you've seen actors faces and stuff you know in a in addition to uh, uh, what do they call it when they uh, change their facial features with makeup and stuff? Pro they digitally superimposed uh, prosthetics, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, prosthetics. So they do that, and then they digitally superimpose their faces. So they, when when they do these, they have sensors in their faces, so they can actually all of the mouth and eye movement and is all tracked. And so they they have this perfected now. I mean, I've seen that that was really raw stuff. What you saw, but oh my God, what you should see now! I'm working on it now as uh, uh, with the videos that we're going to be showing with the hologram, and uh, they've improved it so much. I mean, you look at this up close on a high res monitor. And you cannot tell it's not that guy. I mean, we know it wow. isn't. So you're looking wow. for those those little kind of flaws. 
But I think like Henry, I, I thought it was just, you know, him clipped out of a concert video and put up onto, you know. You can't. You can't do that because that it only you, you shoot it with one camera. Right. Uh, the whole thing about a concert video, you can't, you know, take the jib shot and the front of house shot and the stage shot and mold them all together. It doesn't work like that. You're looking at him. You're looking at the hologram as you would in a real concert. And so that's one camera uh, with no movement. And the only thing that's moving is the actor. Wow. That's, that's really, yeah, really that's amazing. I had no that idea really that that's how it worked. That really threw me because yeah. Dio's mannerisms were incredible in the videos that I saw. Me being a Dio fan myself, right? So I went through a whole bunch of right, them. right. But you so, know, the, the hologram is is it's all about you know the the magic of it is that you can't see where the image is projected. But yeah. all of this, you know, it isn't like Star Wars where, you know, Princess Leia comes out of the phone or anything like that. It's just not right. going to happen. You know, you have to have some substrate to put the image on. Yeah. And so the, the key is having the substrate. You know, it's all about angle of, uh, angle of reflection equals angle of incidence. Well, and it's, so it's similar to any, like I've worked with a lot of illusionists and you know, sometimes, most of the time, what you can't see is at least as important as what you can see, you know, and that's how yeah. the illusion comes off. That's, that's what makes it look amazing. So. Right. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's pretty so, much it. So are you now, like, but it's all, are you now the expert in this, uh, in this hologram technology and getting calls from other artists and, or other artists, uh, estates or whatever? Yeah who want to do similar things? You know, it just doesn't work like that. I, I wish it did sometimes, but, you know, these are all kind of cottage industry sort of ideas, and they kind of remain within that realm of, you know, the same people who are successful at it. It's kind of like a a director who likes to work with certain actors, you know? It, yeah. It just, you know... the. I worked for Elton John for two years and I thought, you know, this is the pinnacle and my phone would just go nuts. But guess what? You know, yeah. it doesn't happen that way. It's kind of like the actor who gets an Oscar and thinks the phone will ring off the hook with all these fantastic offers with more and more and more money. And it just doesn't work that way. You I still mean, have to go out and just, I think, we, yeah, you know, I, I mean, for me, not so much anymore. I have a website. Um, uh, it's masterworkslighting.com. And, um, you know, anybody can go on there and see it, but that's basically your brochure and your resume all in one. You don't really have to send out resumes anymore or tout your work. For me, anyway. I mean, I because I've been doing it as long as I have. Yeah. But, um, you know, I recommend anybody who's, you know, listening and starting out, you know, get, get yourself, you know, if you have any kind of photographic or video portfolios, just start building your, your website with all your yeah, work. That's your brand. And, uh, that's your brand. That's, that's who you are. That's it's, like you it's, said, it's your calling card. It, it's your resume. It's everything. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so important. But yeah. Well, branding is important whether you're a company or a manufacturer or an individual or or whatever. I mean, your brand is 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 really very important uh, in getting you work. So, back to back to Dio just quickly to to close this out. So, where is um, Wendy at now? Like what? I believe Dio has a foundation and um, I know that Wendy's done some incredible things over the years in not only oh. continuing to protect and keep his uh, image and his music and everything alive. And, you know, Dio, I still think like if you were to ask me to list my top three rock vocalists ever, he's one of them. And uh, I think Henry is the same. We're both dinosaurs Absolutely. when it comes to music. <clears throat> but um, obviously, you know, her role has evolved from, you know, rock star wife slash, I think she was manager too, wasn't she? Or sometimes manager. Mm. Oh, no, she was. She uh, was the boss. From yeah. his, she was always his manager from the very beginning. And, yeah. you know, um, it was an interesting dynamic uh, with with them. And they knew how to get things done, but she was always super protective of him and his, and now his legacy as not being a footnote in history. I mean, I read recently, I can't remember who it was. It's another, you know, illustrious rock star who said Ronnie Dio was the Pavarotti of rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, I I don't and I, also, I don't disagree with that. I've also read, yeah, I've also uh, I'm, there was a U.S. Today poll of the top singers of all time, and Ronnie, I think it was the top twenty, and he was nineteen. Wow. You yeah, know. see, and I'd I'd put him a lot higher than that. You know, I'd put him in the top three for sure. Because uh, <laughs> just well, and you know, the cool thing about Dio, yeah. it's not just that he was a great vocalist. Like you said, he was a great human. He was, uh, you know, a good businessman. He, he was a smart guy. Um, so, I mean, just, just a, a wonderful human being. So, you know, I think the whole world was kind of, or the rock and roll world anyways, was a little bit sad. Plus, is it true or not that he, uh, he did the, the horns? Was that him? Yeah, he was a trumpet. He's the no, I mean he he oh, created no. oh, the, the horns. Horn. <laughs> yeah, no, the, I'm sorry. The rock and roll uh, yeah, headbanging he horns. He, he, well, it the horns uh, is when you put your index finger and your little finger up, and your two you know middle ones go down. So that that's become kind of like yay rock and roll. This is it, you know. Yeah. But he told me one day what that was and. It was his grandmother, he was Italian, and his grandmother, uh, you know, showed him that. And what it meant was if someone wished bad upon you, that if you put your forefinger and your little finger to them, that it would return that evil back to them. Really? Right? So sort of like a curse, reverse. It was a, well, yeah. So if somebody wished evil on you that you were bad for you, then you did that and it would revert it. That's incredible. Yeah. I've never heard that. What a cool piece of information. Yeah. 
Yeah. So <laughs> then, you know, all of a sudden people go, yay, and they put their hands up in the air and they have that, you know. I mean, I think they, they even do it at EDM concerts. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, it's, it's going to become, become the pretty, universal rock and worldwide. roll. Yeah, but he he's definitely the, the starter of that one. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, Geezers of Gear has it in the name. We we do like to talk about gear. We both come from the gear business. Both Henry and I have long backgrounds in lighting and um, particularly automated lighting. But, you know, for you, how has the evolution of gear helped you to not only create better shows, but to be more efficient? And so... You know, I know one of the things we talked about in the sort of pre-discussion was that um, gear has gone from let's make it bigger, more trucks, more trucks, more trucks, to now it's less trucks, less trucks. And, you know, because I think part of that goes back to something we've talked about at length, which is that how much, you know, the recording industry has changed and the ability to make money selling albums has, has changed for the worse. And so now artists really need to go out and tour and make a profit. So they're more involved and more conscious of the cost of putting on. So they want a great show that really impresses the audience and brings them in and everything. But at the same time, they need to make money. So I'm sure right. that gear, the size of gear and things like that has, has evolved to a point where it's made that easier for you. But, um, you know, Evolution of gear, uh, obviously, over the past 10, 15 years has just been incredible. But how has that really helped you to create better shows? Uh, LED. I think for starters, LED has come uh, leaps and bounds to take away, you know, tungsten, halogen, and even, you know, arc sources. And... Uh, and and in an all ways from you know having an effective profile light to uh, basic RGBW moving lights, and um, you know you can take a you know a 120k Parkan rig and slim it down to eight profiles and 20 LEDs. I mean, and get more out of it because of the movement, because of the saturated colors, because of the, um, you know, the zoom features and, you know, the profiles zooming flat field of, of lights coming through. Um, it, it, it's just phenomenal what you can do with fewer instruments. Yeah. Um, so, well, but I'm so, sure I, I I'm sure you could also look at things like the, you know, the newer trussing systems and motor systems and everything has just become more efficient, smaller, better, um, more powerful, you know. So it's not just the light fixtures themselves. It's everything surrounding it as well, right? Oh, totally. I mean, it's it's uh, all the practical issues that, you know, that come along with you know, designing a system that you have to look at. It's kind of like, you know, cars that think of everything. Now you can get into a car and, you know, tell it to drive itself. (laughs) But now it's, here's the thing. I think that, uh, you know, LED screens have probably 
been one of the biggest transformative pieces of gear since the very light. Right? In 84, 83, 84, when the very light started to get used, um, I mean, I went to the first Genesis show where they had 300 of these things and you couldn't pick my jaw off the floor. I mean, it was just phenomenal to see this kind of movement uh, after using uh, park hands for so long. And, you know, uh, but, but LED screens have become the virtual set. You know, all those sets that you were describing, you know, from the 80s were fantastic, but, you know, you needed two carpenters to go out there, and now you can just basically hang strategic locations of video screens and create a virtual set. And it changes all the time, and it's phenomenal. Um, But, you know, I'm working with one now with the hologram. There's two holograms coming up. One's called The Bizarre World of Frank Zappa. And that's oh, opening wow. in New York. That's cool. April I can't wait to see 19th. that. Yeah, it's April 19th at the Capitol Theater. Um, and there's uh, Ahmet Zappa, who is uh, Frank's son, controls the estate. And he's done a phenomenal job with uh, creating a show using uh, uh, animation. So the deal with holograms are, you know, the expectation is like you'll see the artist on the, on the hologram and you go, ooh, that's really, is that really him? You know, and you can, you can fake it that you know it isn't, but gosh, it sure looks like it. Well, he's yeah. taken that to a whole new level where, he, where they've animated. So the, is that going to be toured? Everything. Or is is that just an installation yeah, or it's yeah. been oh, yeah. We're, we're, yeah, it's it's in rehearsal right now. And um, it's going out uh, to production rehearsals. We've got uh, out in uh, Rancho Mirage, the Agua Caliente, the great theater out there. So we're we're doing production rehearsals out there. So is it a, but, is but it a live band is, with Frank in yeah. it or is it a... Oh, it is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's all of... Uh, players that have at one time played with Zappa in his that band. That is cool. That is so cool. So they are super good. I mean, to be in to be in uh, a Zappa band, you had to be a real musician. And and they, you know, they read charts and you know have had you know uh, extensive uh, musical training and are the masters of their craft. So that's the live band playing with the, the hologram, you know, so it's all done with a click track and they start the hologram and the band plays live. It's fantastic. But who's the guitar it, player? Oh, it's not Scott, Steve Vai. Uh, um, no, it isn't Steve Vai, but Steve Vai has and will come out and do certain shows. Oh, very cool. Um, but anyway, the whole thing, as I was saying before, you know, LED screens are virtual set. So the LED screen actually surrounds the hologram with the band on the side. That's what I was going to ask and you, Paul. The hol- so the holograms themselves, are, are they, they're not on the LED tiles themselves. They are actually still projection-based? No. Yes, yes. But the, but the projection is actually LED. 
that that that's used in in in, in this case. Um, I think there's a company called Base Entertainment that's taken out um, Roy Orbison, and uh, I it, it, that's the only one I know. I haven't really done that much research on them, but they did a a, a projection. But this is an LED, so it's much brighter. It's much more clear and concise um, and real. I think than the than the projection. The projection. So What's the second one you're doing? You uh, said the Zappa and then Dio. the other one. Oh, Dio. So is Dio going to tour? Yeah, or? the other one is. Yes. Uh, I think the dates are now in June, starting in Florida. That is really cool. I just happened to be in Florida. Be able to so see that Henry. Henry. And we know who to call for tickets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Ticket master. laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Free, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A free show. That's another thing. You can't get, you know, it used to be a professional courtesy. You could get, you know, people that you knew into shows and, you know, you see anything. And, and now it's kind of, you know, with Live Nation and all the uh, corporate AEG and stuff, they allow so many comps per band and that's it. And then after that, even if the band has more, they have to pay. Yeah. Well, they go over We've talked about that, you know, again, when we talked about the evolution of, you know, the recording business or the, the devolution of the recording business and, you know, just the need to make profit on touring and stuff. One of the big changes was those comps, but it actually made it easier for people who worked in the business as suppliers, because, you know, I remember talking to, to John Huddleston one day and he said it's almost become like a, a halftime job now to manage ticket requests. And um, mm. so now, or at the time anyways, I don't know if it's still the same, but it probably is. They set up like a VIP ticket office where if you had the code or whatever, you could call into the office and, and book your tickets, but you paid for them. And then you pick them up at a, yeah. a later mentioned uh, facility or a hotel room or whatever it was, and you'd go and pick up your tickets. But yeah. It right. happened to me well, in the I last that, show that I tried to get tickets. Things, yeah. Yeah, the thing is, it shows have become more expensive. And, yeah. you know, there's reason for that. Technology has increased the price. Um, you know, the bands need to make more to stay on the road. Yeah. Um, you know, the venues are more money. Insurance is more money. Um, it's just everybody's got their hand in the pie. And so the ticket prices, you know, keep keep going up and up and up well i can tell you right now that i'll i'll buy tickets for both of those so i'm i'm really looking forward oh. to seeing both of those uh because both yeah you know, happen to be it, some of my favorite artists so i tell you what i'm producing the video for the screens for dio uh a couple of animators and we're talking level of disney imagineering i mean it's nice. phenomenal you you go and see this stuff. You will be so entertained. And you know if you like Zappa uh, music and lyrics, you'll be doubly entertained. But this Love is it. a real show. So yeah. who's going to be but in the Dio I, band? I, I, is it going to be any of his uh, former? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I know who those guys are. There's Simon Wright. Oh. Um, Craig Goldie's on guitar. Craig really? Goldie was in that Sacred Heart tour you were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember that. 
Wow. Yeah, and then uh, Scott. Uh, oh gosh, I can't remember his last name. He's on keyboards. Um, and uh, I look forward to seeing it. Oh yeah. So these are going to be oh, typically smaller. Ve- Paul, these are going to be typically smaller yeah. venues, though, right? Because you have well, angles of viewing, for lack really, of a better term. Right? Well, we have to do them in theaters because we first of all, you know, need to you know, have places to rig, right? I mean, we got to rig these screens. So all of those things are taken into consideration when the booking agent is making. I mean, I I dare say we can't go into a house of blues because they have set rigs in there. Um, But we're carrying a lot of weight. So all of these are theaters. And then it's going to go to Europe in May. That show, that Zappa show is going May. Nice. So, yeah. So, yeah, but I'll tell you what, it's just so exciting to see the video screen make a new set every song. I mean, I was doing some work last night and I'm, I'm looking at this stuff going, if I were a concert goer seeing this, it would blow me away. I just, I just think it, it, it is definitely a new take on live entertainment. Yeah. Well, I mean, for sure, obviously, LED screens. I, I think you nailed it. I mean, if I would probably answer exactly the same way as far as evolution of gear, how it's changed everything. But, um, oh. yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, obviously, LED screens, LED fixtures has made it smaller, brighter, better, uh, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But, um, yeah. So, and, is the yeah, rest more efficient? I mean, it doesn't drop the power that, you know, we, we used to go and have, you know, two 400-amp services to power the lighting ring. I mean, it's crazy <laughs> to think about how much power that drew. Now it's on a 20-amp uh, Home Depot extension cord, right? Not quite, but yeah, almost, right. right? So, uh, Paul, in terms of resolution, when you, when, when you do set designs and things like that, obviously you know that all the pixel pitch is shrinking on the um, – on the video walls all the time, right? So, you know, pretty much the industry standard right now for an indoor wall is, you know, between 2.9 and 3.9. But as the pitch shrinks of these screens, right, and the resolution comes up, do you feel that it, it's, it, the shows are becoming more immersive for lack of a better term? So does the, does the increase in pitch allow you to roll more content out to make it look even more immersive or that doesn't really play a part in that? Well, it certainly improves the quality of the picture that you're viewing, but you, you know, you always have to have a, a comparable to contrast what it is you're seeing. I mean, we had, uh, you know, initially to get a bigger screen, you know, for, we had Ario and sticks, uh, co-headline show that went out, we were using 40 millimeter pitch, but it was in the back of the hall or there's always in the back of the stage. So by the time you go, you know, 40 feet downstage to the front of the stage, and then you go, you know, even further back for the first set of seats, you know, by the time you're halfway back, you're seeing that resolution change considerably, you know? Right. So, you know, if you're, if you're right up front and you're viewing it, um, then it's a, you can still, you know, you can make it out what it is and everything, but certainly if you have that screen, next to, you know, a, a 4.8 pitch or 4.1 or whatever 
you're going to notice a difference. There's no doubt about it. But if you have nothing to compare it to in the bigger picture, you're still seeing the content. You're still seeing the role. You're still appreciating, you know, what it's doing psychologically to complement the show. So I would imagine at some point, though, you know, Kiss experimented with this a number of years ago where they did the Psycho Circus tour in 3D. I don't know if you saw that show, and it was a stadium show. But I'm wondering, you know, when 3D is kind of going to go mainstream in, into touring as it relates to, you know, the, the imagery and the videos that are doing on that you're doing on different tours. Yeah, you- um, it's a process that you have to use to get to the 3D. Um, but they're getting better and better, and it's just time, time to to carve it out. Um, you know. So what about I mean, what I about emerging what about emerging technologies? Like, what uh, have you seen anything new that's starting to come out that you're super intrigued and you're in a, or you're in early on? Um, you know, anything. I mean, from a control standpoint, uh, radio lighting. Uh, not really. I I kind of am an off the shelf kind of guy. I mean, only because that's what's available to me. Right. <clears throat> you know. Um, and and so I mean, there's enough of it out there that it keeps me intrigued enough. You know, which is yeah. The the newest, latest, greatest thing would be another version of another light that does more. Right. Yeah. I I just. Think Well, and that uh, has slowed down. We've talked about that. Like it used to be where, you know, Martin had come out with something that had two additional gobos and indexing rotation. And then high end would come out with something that had three additional gobos and, you know, uh, fine resolution on the indexing of the rotation. And then somebody had come out with a cool prism effect. And then somebody had come out with an automation effect and, you know, they, they were making fairly large leaps, both in, in feature sets and and effects and stuff, but also in output. And now it's gotten to where everything's pretty bright. Everything's pretty loaded with effects. Um, everything's pretty reliable or most things anyways. And so, uh, you know, I think now it's gone back to, and we've talked about this, but it's gone back to the relationship. And, you know, it's the lighting manufacturer where you have the best relationship or the lighting rental house that supports the manufacturer where you have the best relationship or whatever. But it's gone back to relationships Mm -hmm. again, the people you're dealing with and the company you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So... As as far as your like your preferences for gear, what like if if you had to pick three things that you got to take with you to absolutely every show, what are those? Uh, I would say the uh, the Able Lights um, Tiger Touch Pro. Um, I console. love that console, uh, and you know I can even use it. It's got the logic that I am familiar with, and have practiced and understand and if I don't know I you know call a friend I just I I gotta have that console um and you've always been in a probably best that oh yeah since uh QM 500 absolutely once I'd used that I thought you know because I was using a I think before that it was uh the show lights Alderham before that and the, and the Able Lights came out, it just completely kicked its ass. I mean, it just, I just, 
you know, and I've, and I've followed it since then. I mean, there was a lull in there for a while, but they certainly came out. They certainly came out with a uh, a new, uh, you know, technology that is unbeatable. And you were also talking about the physical size of the boards also. So some boards are just getting too wide for you, you were mentioning, right? So you want it all in front of you, oh, right? A- absolutely, absolutely. Um, so your relationship with Avalites today is pretty good. I know that they've had uh, uh, some big changes here in the U.S. where they had uh, Rob Steele here for the longest time, really taking good care of, of Avo customers. And then Rob was no longer with the company, and they've gone through a few different distribution deals and stuff. So is it good now from a support standpoint? Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, obviously, we all know that, uh, you know, these things are manufactured in London. Yeah. And uh, they have a very, very efficient and, uh, you know, high-tech crew there. I mean, the technicians are the, the creators of this thing. I mean, I, I just... I'm a total fan. You know, the support here has been great. I, I, can, I have no complaints about it. Just so really you, take what are your other? What are your other two go-to pieces of gear you got to uh, have on I every show? A good LED moving head um, at, with zoom and a good profile, uh, a profile, um, you know, and I like, I like the quantum. I like the quantum and um, what else? The, the, uh, the high quantum, end. Quantum is Martin, right? Martin quantum. Quantum so the, is Martin. And there's the high end. What's the name of it? It's not a so, show. What's it? Solar. Spot. Solar. Yes. Solar. Solar spot. Yes. Love that. The cool. solar spot. Um, but yeah, a good profile, a good LED fixture, and pretty much you can make it happen with that. Wow! That's all you need, you can do that's your awesome. specials. You you know, if you have if you have enough of them, that's it. And obviously, you know, if you've got some, you know, if you have risers or a set and you have some floor lighting with some LED in it and stuff like that, and just give it that extra dimension. Um, you know, uh, the set that I'm using now with Ario Speedwagon was completely custom built. Um, and, uh, it, it has LED pixels everywhere, all in the faces and the, in the, uh, I've got these towers with, uh, a little, um, elation Q7 on top of it. And, uh, it's, uh, it's a phenomenal looking show. And we just walk into a theater or wherever we are and can make it happen and make it look like we're, we've been on tour with that system. And is Ario still doing the package stuff where it's Ario Sticks and Journey, or uh, are they still doing those tours? Oh, yeah. Uh, last year, we did a package tour with Chicago. Um, we've done a couple package tours with uh, Def Leppard. And also, uh, Sticks and Ario have been very... Um, you know, like partners in crime, you know, it's a very friendly competition of, of production there. It's quite so funny. How's that rig work out? Like who, who decides who's the headliner? Do they flip a coin and who gets the design of the set and the rig and 
How's that all work? It it it's all done. It's all done together. It's all done together. Uh, Jeff Rabbits and I have co-designed, I think, four or five rigs together now. And uh, you know, he'll come over and or we'll meet somewhere and uh, you know, figure it out. Put it put a system. Yeah, we figure it out. It's all good. That just sounds way too collaborative and friendly. Yeah, right. I know it totally is. <laughs> you know, uh, we're we've just all been doing this long enough. We don't have any, you know, any other motive other than just making it happen. It's not one-upmanship anywhere. I mean, that yeah. never does anybody good. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's yeah. that's really great. And I mean, I know uh, uh, those package tours just seem to make so much sense, and they seem to sell so well. I think it's created a resurgence for some bands like journey and, and Def Leppard and um, you know, Austin. sticks just keeps yeah. for surviving forever. Um, and Ario, I mean, it, it's just such a great, those are great packages together and I can see why they're still selling. And, you know, it's so much better than having to go out and play, oh. you know, festival shows and stuff, I guess. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, just a good, fun night out. It, it what happens is it's uh, you know brings memories back, and, and what I'm seeing is generations uh, coming as well. You yeah. know, to, uh, you know, parents are bringing their kids, and you know, it's it's really a, a, a mixed mixed bag now. But it's usually an older audience for yeah. these, these classic rock shows, just well, because yeah, you, you know they they're hating. You have, uh, you probably have, you know, 2,000 50-year-old housewives who got married to keep on loving you, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, they're probably all out there with their phones in the air or lighters or whatever you do now. But uh, no, that's oh, really cool. Yeah. So another, uh, another all- yeah, another topic we have covered a few times and, and I just wanted to bring up here. So you know, I'm I'm somewhere in between mentoring and um, you know avoiding <laughs> millennials at a, any at any given moment. So you know, I I really have tried to embrace younger people into our businesses, um, into just a lot of the projects I've worked on and stuff. And because of their creativity and their ideas and their different viewpoints. And obviously, if you're marketing a product or a service or anything these days, you want to understand their mentality, their way of thinking, uh, how they're using social media, why they're using social media. But at the end of the day, I know we've all had challenges just with, you know, things like, um, you know, feelings or uh, even just down to work ethic and habits. And so, you know, how, what's your approach on that? Like, uh, you know, do you like to educate younger people who go out on tour with you? Cause we are all, you know, officially geezers, I guess, in the business now. And um, so do you like to mentor and, and nurture those young people? Are you frustrated by them at times because of, you know, their slightly different uh, ways of doing things? What's your approach? Well, you know, my approach is, uh, you know, I'll give them information if they ask or they show initiative that they want to learn more. Um, Other than that, I don't offer up because, um, you know, you can't 
force feed, you know, history or experience or anything else. Um, but I do find that, you know, coming from the generation that, you know, I'm from, which was, we were raised, you know, on black and white TV and going into color TV. And that was really cool. And then computers came along where this generation, the millennial generation was raised on computers and computer games, and they were involved and, uh, intrigued and, you know, that this, this is their MO, you know? And so it's a completely different mentality. And so I try to take that into consideration and, and, uh, you know, if, if people want to learn, then I'm happy to teach. I'm happy to educate and share my experiences. Yeah. Um, Well, and, and without, without, without beating up a whole generation, uh, you know, I have found some people and uh, we have a, a recent employee in GearSource who, you know, was absolutely a millennial. And, you know, although he had those little quirky millennial things, we love the guy. He brought um, so many great, fresh new ideas and just a totally different approach. But when when you find people who have been raised a certain way, um, who are in their early to mid 20s, and they they tend to really just be magnets for information and knowledge and they just suck it all up and they want to work hard and they want to they look at Paul Dexter and go oh my god I can create a career around learning from this guy I'm going to get all the information from him I possibly can I'm going to I'm going to shadow him and when you find mm-hmm. a person like that it's unbelievable and I love to teach them anything they want to learn and There's a few people that come to mind for me. One is a nephew of mine, but there's some people in business as well who will just come to me and say, hey, can I pick your brain? And we'll sit sometimes for hours and talk. And it's just firing question after question after question, like I'm being interviewed and taking notes. And I love that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't mind uh, providing information to a person like that. But you know, from a work ethic standpoint, I think we all learned a different way. Like you didn't stand around, you know, talking on your cell phone when the people around you were hustling to get a show up, um, you know, or texting your girlfriend uh, when, you know, something is happening that needs your your attention or assistance. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the phone is definitely a distraction to that. And it's hard to put it away. I mean... I mean, psychologically, uh, the phone manufacturer's iPhone has figured this all out where they make it, you know, I think there was, I was a documentary on 60 Minutes about this where, you know, every move that you make on your phone is actually an invitation to come back and make another move, that there's an award waiting for you when you, when you open your phone up, that you get some instant satisfaction from from right. that particular move on the phone so that right. it, it has That's become a distraction and i try to understand it um and 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 deal with it but you know <laughs> it's really hard in our business because you have to focus more on what you're doing and it could be dangerous if you don't yeah and so there's always that you know, it isn't well, it's, just about, you know, fun of innovation of design. It's it's also about all of the other things that 
have a ripple effect if you're not careful. Well, of course. I mean, it's sort of the drug of the of the, you know, 2019. So, you know, it, it went probably in the 80s and 90s, you were dealing with people who were uh, self-medicated and, you know, you'd have to say, hey, go sit down over there. We're going to do your job for you because you're too wasted. Um, now it's more, you know, lost attention to gadgets or to whatever, social media, you know, whatever it is. It's an absolute safety issue. Yeah, and, and I think we, we've kind of already lost that battle. We're not going to change that. It's no. going to continue no. and probably get more uh, worse. Uh, but, you know, hopefully it doesn't, uh, you know, they can put it down long enough and not endanger others. You know? that, would, that would probably be good. So um, yeah. any, anything that we've uh, kind of forgotten to talk about here, I think we've covered a lot of stuff. You're a, you're a guy who's not only got a huge amount of experience uh, and time uh, and endurance in this, in this industry, um, but I just think you're a super creative guy who's, you know, obviously based on your relationships with some of these bands for 15, 20, 30 years, um, you've done some really great work and, and managed to you know, stay employed by the same people for as long as you have. And, and that's a testament to, you know, your work ethic and, and your character and everything else. So, but um, I think we've pretty much uh, run the gamut here and we've taken more than the hour that you uh, promised to give us. So uh, Henry, you got anything else that you needed to? I just, I just want to thank you, Paul, for coming on number one. And obviously, um, catching up with you the other day on the phone talking about all these cool projects is just super inspiring. So I can't wait to go see this Dio show uh, down in Florida for sure. So I am super stoked. Yeah. Dio and Great. I'm, Zappa. I'm happy, to, happy to get you a ticket, Henry. <laughs> cool. I'll pay I for it. I, I promise. <laughs> Paul, there you thank, go. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it very much. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Sweet.